So if you tell someone where you're from, you say, I'm from Dubai or from UAE, or, you know, there's this direct image in your head of only desert dunes and sand and, you know, very dry context. But in reality, 5% of the geography, which is a huge area, are sabkhas, meaning they are wetlands. I'm 10 years old. Hi, Spataka. That's my friend Liz. She's from New York and together we're discovering new old things in Dubai that have been around a lot longer than I have. In each episode, we time travel through Dubai and we track down people who are connected with our topic to ask them questions. Tell me more. That's right. We ask them to tell us more so we can discover new stories. New stories about the old, remember? We're back after a while because school and life. But we're back with what we think is a really timely episode, given that the UAE is gearing up to host COP28, the 28th UN Climate Conference, also known as the Conference of Parties, where negotiators from countries around the world will need to find a way to agree on how to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2050. Don't forget, it's also the year of sustainability in the UAE. In this episode, we're looking at sabkas, also known as salt flats. Spataka, what made you want to do an episode on sabkas? Well, the main reason is because they're keen fighting climate change due to the fact that, wait, how do you say it again? They suck in carbon dioxide. What's the technical term again? They're carbon sinks. Yes, carbon sinks. Carbon sinks. And why is that important? Well, I want to say it matters because we need to figure out ways to absorb carbon dioxide as the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere is increasing and a massive cause to climate change. And a carbon sink is a natural environment that can absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, such as oceans, forests, and subgas. We learned a lot about subgas from reading a book called The Anatomy of Subgas. We'll put a link to this in our show notes. Spataka, what questions did you have after reading the book? Well, I learned that subgas are notoriously uninhabitable. Well, not exactly uninhabitable, but it's very hard to live there because there's just so much salt. However, mangroves thrive there. But I'm wondering if other plants do well in subgas too. Like, do they adapt? I don't know. Also, I want to know if it's possible to recreate a subgas. Like, can we make an artificial one on barren land? Okay, let's find out. In the recent past, subgas were thought of as wastelands. People didn't really value them. There were simply places to put infrastructure. Some subgas have rows of electric power lines cutting across them, while others have desalination plants at their coastal edges. Long ago, maybe 800 years ago, people saw value in subga as a building material. Right, in Siwa, Egypt. Right, people in Siwa built houses from Kershaw blocks, which were basically chunks of subga mixed with clay and sand. Do you think it would be a good idea to build with Subka today? Yep, that would be a good idea. Hmm, what did you tell me about Subkas? They're carbon what? They're carbon si- Oh yeah, they store carbon, so we shouldn't build on them. It's probably not a good idea, we'll just destroy the purpose. 
Luckily, there are experts here in Dubai who are researching the Subka ecology and working to promote the environmental value of the Subka ecosystem. Listen as May Shalaby, a sustainability expert who was the curator of the Emirates Soil Museum, and Well Elawar, architect and curator, tell us more. We first talked to May Shalaby. We met her at the Emirates Soil Museum. If you haven't been, it's definitely worth the trip. Spataka, what did you learn from our visit to the museum and our conversation with May? Well, I didn't know that there were different types of subgas or subguts in the UAE. I'd only seen pictures of coastal subgas in Abu Dhabi that are covered with a white crust of salt. But May told us that there are also inland subgas. These are usually covered by sand dunes, but sometimes the wind blows the sand and reveals the salt that's beneath. So uh, subgas basically around uh, the UAE, they're both. Uh, inland sabkhas and coastal sabkhas and they are salt flats so you have a crust of salt on the surface of the soil that is um, covering what's underneath so you just see salt at the surface as you walk by all white that's mostly around the coast whereas inland sometimes the sabkha can be covered with sand dunes and sometimes it can be revealed because as we saw sand dunes are always moving with the wind So as they move, they can either expose the sabkha that's underneath, the salt flat that's underneath, and so you'll see just white, or they can cover it. And so then it would be hidden with the sand on top. Liz, do you remember when we spoke to Wael Alawa and he told us how sabkhas change with the season? I do. He told us that sabkhas are wetlands. Sabkhas are salt flats, and salt flats change with seasons. They are moving environments, they are shifting landscapes and geographies. So sometimes Sabkhaz, you'll visit it, it'll be dry and crystal and looks like very much a a, a snowy uh, geography. And sometimes you visit it and it's, it's like a lake, it's fully flooded with water. And what makes or what what creates Sabkhaz is the evaporation of Um, underground water table which has salt in it a lot of different types of salts and it's not the same it's not only the salt that we eat the the table salt the NACL but has other salts in there like magnesium salts and 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 other types as well I think we have to visit a subka in summer and winter to see how it changes I agree we asked May where we could find subkas in the UAE As you may know, the UAE or the majority of the UAE is actually Abu Dhabi Emirate. Over 80% of the UAE is Abu Dhabi. So again, most of the sabkhas that are found are found inside Abu Dhabi Emirate. And they span around 300 kilometers of the coastline of Abu Dhabi. And they can be as wide as 25 kilometers deep into the inland areas outside, like beyond the coast. So they are quite massive and they cover quite a range of spaces in Abu Dhabi. What lives in a subka? So before we answer that question, I want to actually bounce a question back at you. So what do plants or animals need to survive? Well, heat and water. They need basically energy and water. Yeah. And animals and plants, they can get their energy from two sources. Either they make their own from the sun through photosynthesis, or they have to eat something else to get their energy. And around sabkha areas, sometimes there's water. Where there is a lot of water, we find a lot more vegetation and a lot more life. 
where there is less water, then we don't have the very important factor. So then we find less vegetation and less life. And mostly around the Sabha areas, because it's so dry, there's not so much out there for things to eat. So often they are the types of species that make their own food through photosynthesis. So either plants or very special types of bacteria called cyanobacteria that are like algae that actually also photosynthesize. And so they manage to make their own food from the energy of the sun and with water. There is one very important feature of sabcha here. So of course, plants, we said they are able to photosynthesize and make their own food as long as they have energy and water. But there's something very important in sabchas, of course, and it's in their name or in their definition that they are salt flats. So there's a lot of salt in sabcha areas. So what you know of plants, usually in your plants at home, when you water them, do you water them with tap water or do you water them with seawater? Tap water. Tap water. So there are very specific kinds of plants that are actually not only can handle salt water, but actually love it. And this is their habitat. And these plants are called halophytes. And these plants represent around 2% of all plants in the world. So around 2% of all plants are these halophytes, are these plants that love salt water or love salt in general. And so the species that we find around sabchas usually are from these types of plants. And they manage to survive through different mechanisms. So they love salt, but it's because they were very intelligent, let's say, in the way that they managed to evolve and the way that they managed to deal with this very harsh climate. So for example, some of them are succulents. Have you heard of succulents before? I've heard of it, but I don't know what it means. So these are plants that are usually a bit more fleshy. So sometimes you'll find them at home. And if you break them or open them kind of like cacti, you find a lot of moisture, a lot of water inside. So these plants are able to store a lot of water inside of themselves. And what they do is basically they absorb all of this water, the salty water. But because they're able to store so much water, they're actually able to dilute the salt inside. So they, it's a mechanism that they've adapted to help themselves survive with salt around. They also adapted another mechanism that helps them release the salt from their leaves so they can absorb it. But if it becomes too high and they're not able to dilute it, they're actually sort of like a waste disposal system. They're able to get rid of it and flush it out of their leaves. May told us when these plants get rid of the excess salt, you can actually see the salt crystals appear on the plant's leaf, and you can just brush it off. Sputika, were you surprised by everything that can grow in subcas? Yes, much more grows than I had thought. And May helped me understand that subcas function as carbon sinks because of all the plants and organisms that grow there. So like we talked about halophytes and plants and these plants that have adapted and love salt, there are bacteria and these microorganisms that have similar properties and have also managed to adapt and live in salty environments. So there are also halophilic bacteria. And so the bacterial mats in the sabchas are the most fascinating to me because these bacteria are photosynthetic bacteria. They're able to survive by making their own food in this very harsh environment. They are very vast and they cover very and they cover very vast areas of land actually. And they create this thick crust on the soil that actually protects it also from further erosion. And, of course, because they are photosynthesizing, it means they are capturing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and storing it in the soil. So they are also helping fight climate change 
and they just they have very minimal requirements. <laughs> so they're an excellent thing to protect and to look after and conserve because they are so fascinating and they're doing such a fantastic job. But, uh, you know, just on their own without anybody noticing, kind of. <laughs> Liz, do you know where the world's largest subga is? No, but I bet you do. The world's largest subga is in Bolivia, where they mine for lithium. Mining in subcas doesn't sound like a great thing. In fact, it sounds like a threat to the subcas. A 2010 article we found in The National that helped with our research said that a surge in development means the subcas are quickly disappearing. And with them, Abu Dhabi's ownership of a piece of nature that could help unlock mysteries about ancient sea levels. We asked a while to tell us more about building on subcas. A lot of the city is built on Sabha. And if you if if you come to my office, the area is called Sabha. So if you look at the at the road signs, they're called Sabha. So meaning it's built on water, salt and water. So the water table level is very high, meaning that if you dig in the ground, you don't have to dig much to get to the water, to see water. So it's not really a lot of sand, and then you have water deep underneath but in reality it's a very little sand layer and the water of the sea is very high to the ground very near the ground i think a lot of the a lot of it was uh Sabha areas and why they built usually they selected areas to build on because they were flat and subhas are flat in a way so if you go to build on a very uh area that has a lot of dunes and big hills, it's more difficult to build. So naturally, if you find a flat plain, you will build on the flat plain. So a lot of a lot of the cities were built on Sabhaz, even Sheikh Zayed Road, you know, the big long road. If you look at the history of the map, uh, you'll find out that most of it is built on a Sabha because it was flat. So they didn't have to excavate and dig and move sand a lot in order to build the highway. It was very simple. The road there was already uh, flat. Who knew that we'd live on what was formerly a subga? Well, not me. Do you think we're doing a good job to protect subgas? I don't know if enough people know about how important they are. Remember, in the national article, they said that mangroves, until not long ago, were considered useless swamps and were destroyed. Now their conservation profile is a lot higher and a lot of people and businesses are talking about protecting or planting them. You're right. People are starting to talk a lot more about protecting subgas. The Abu Dhabi subga, which is one of the largest in the world, is on the tentative list for a UNESCO World Heritage Site. That means that people around the world recognize that this subga is incredibly important. We asked May more about conservation efforts. So subhas are threatened in my personal opinion because they are not viewed as valuable ecosystems. And we find that often when we are not able to value certain ecosystems economically, um, then we don't protect them. And we think that developing them in different ways is higher economic value. So subhas right now are mainly under threat from uh, developments done by humans. But luckily on that, um, subhas have gained prominence over the past few years with a lot more research done uh, with all of these important findings, like the carbon sinks that are found in subhas that are, you know, that people are finding are super important with the realization that climate change is upon us and things are only going to get worse. 
And people are realizing that the species that survived in these environments are going to be key to our survival in the future because they are species that are already adapted to what we're seeing around us. Increased aridity, increased heat, increased salinity. These species made this environment their home. And so all of this made Sabkhaz gain prominence in recent years. And there's a lot more now um, intention uh, and work to conserve them. Uh, and to protect them by different agencies like Environment Agency Abu Dhabi. Uh, and I think they want to make it a, a UNESCO geopark and a World Heritage Site. So there is more work now down that path. Spatika, what other questions do you have for our experts? I know that subguys are important for the environment, so we should try to protect the ones we have left. Can we somehow make new subguys quicker? Well, told us more. I think, yes, we can nurture sabkhas, just like you nurture trees or you nurture a forest to grow. You know, you can nurture sabkhas to grow in a way because, you know, it's again, um, what makes them is the underground water table, the sea table, that's quite um, high and uh, to the ground, very close to the ground. So if we preserve them and somehow protect them, I think they would gr- grow more. And one square meter of sabkha can absorb more CO2 than one square meter of rainforest. So it tells you how important they are to mitigating the climate crisis and to helping you know, filter the air that we have here in the UAE. I would think of them, they are like the lungs of the UAE. I read about the new projects, such as the Salt Hotel in Bolivia. What is the future of building with salt? Can we use it everywhere? And if so, would it make sense? I don't think it makes sense to use like one material everywhere in the world. I think whatever is abundant, available in your context, in your place, you should be focusing on using that material. Because a lot of the problems today we have with the climate crisis is because of, you know, shipping materials all over the world and then standardizing or making everything in very similar ways of building. Um, Such as in Dubai, it doesn't make sense to have a glass building because there's so much heat and sun. Um, So you would want to avoid that. While in Singapore, it makes sense to have a glass building because, you you know, the cloud cover is 80%. So you need that abundant light, natural light into into the buildings. Um, I think then if countries that have in their geography a lot of salt, that could be a very good way of looking at salt as a material for building with in your own context. But there's also one very important thing to to understand is that salt dissolves in water, meaning that um, it works, the hotel works in Bolivia. There are similar hotels made from salt in Egypt in a town called Siwa. uh, And it's because it doesn't rain there. It's similar to the UAE here. It doesn't rain much, meaning that then the architecture can withstand time and doesn't need a lot of maintenance. Can you imagine if we built right now with salt in the Amazon, what would happen to a salt building? It would dissolve. (laughs) That's true. It would dissolve. So uh, 
it's I think the 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 lesson here or the the critique that's important is that architecture has to always be contextual and that you know buildings should be built for their environment uh, from their own context. So Spataka, what did you learn about subgas from our interviews? I learned that they are actually wetlands. I also learned more about how they function as carbon sinks, which I think is particularly important as we try to find new old solutions to fix climate change. I also found out that they can support life, which I think is interesting if we look at how much we're exploring space to find planets to support life. And we're still learning so much here on Earth. Should we plan to go visit Asapka? I'd like that, but we should probably try not to drive over it. Definitely not. Wells' research on subgas was the basis for his project Wetlands, which won the prestigious Golden Lion Award at the Venice Biennale in 2021. We'll put a link to his project in the show notes. We'll also add a link to find out more information about COP28. Kids, ask an adult to see how you can check out some of the activities happening here in Dubai in December. This episode of Tell Me More was brought to you by Amea Media. It was produced by Liz McEnany and hosted by me, Spatika, and Liz, with help from Chirag Desai. Our fantastic music is composed by Daniel Belka. A big thank you to May and Wild for giving us time. They're very important people and we're grateful to them. We'd love to hear what you thought of our show. Leave us a review and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And do subscribe to Tell Me More from Amea Media for future episodes. Until next time, stay safe. Bye. Bye.